0: Arcanum, an exploration of Brandon Sanderson's Cosmere. I'm Nora, I'm joined by Mark. Hi, I'm Mark. And Autumn.
1: Hi, I'm Autumn.
0: We moved. We moved. Um, which shook up our schedule a little bit, um, but we're all back, everything's fine now. Everything's, yep. you know, fine. Uh, how are you?
1: I'm okay, I'm a little worn out from moving. Mm-hmm. I'm finally recovering, i um, just... I guess a week and two days now we've been here um and i feel like i'm finally like getting back to normal a little bit one of those doesn't really count because it was thanksgiving yeah
2: uh
0: i've read some stuff i've read some stuff i've only read 11 books so you're gonna go first oh christ (laughs)
3: God, i'm so glad i i really have not read anything new and i was stressing about it a little bit but thank God, I didn't read anything.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Some could say I read three things, or uh, I have read two things and have started a third. But I'm, according to my Goodreads, I read
3: 11 books. Oh, is this manga? Uh. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the many reasons uh. that Goodreads doesn't make any sense to me.
0: If you look at the specific ones that I've added, you will see that of the 27 that exist... Maybe three of them are listed in English. The rest are either uh, French or Japanese.
1: Well, okay. But
0: there's no consistent spread except
1: for the new versions that are getting printed. You keep throwing to me and then talking about your thing. So why don't oh. you talk about your thing? Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to be rude. <laughs> I was just re- lightly roasting you.
0: I was just responding to Mark.
1: Okay. I will talk about my stuff then, because okay. mine's pretty brief. Um. While I drove the U-Haul, I reread um, Something That May Shock and Discredit You, which is almost exactly the audiobook, is almost exactly the length of what it takes to drive from St. Louis to Chicago, which is it's a, it's convenient. Well, a, a little humble brag that you drive in the big U-Haul. Very impressive driving. <laughs> Very impressive driving. Um, do, I don't know how much I have to say about Something That May Shock and Discredit You on reread. I've podcasted about this book. At great length in the past um it is a very personally meaningful book but um it, for for people who, who aren't familiar it is essays and memoir and scripture um kind of like brought together uh it's by daniel m lavery um uh about like growing up in a very christian household and transitioning um in your 30s um and i just think it's a i think it is like a very good book i think it gets to like the heart of what being trans is to me and i uh it's like a thing i'm very reticent to say because i don't want to like talk about transness as like a universal narrative i just think it like hit very close to home for me specifically um Mm -hmm. and held up on reread um because of how much like Biblical stuff it's engaged with It almost feels like Reading scripture where you like Read it once And you're like oh I took this away from it then you read it a second time you're like oh I took this other thing away from it And it's not that the text is different It's that you keyed in on a different part On your next time through in the way that I often do with uh, scripture So Mm -hmm.
0: uh,
1: Really glad I reread that
0: Yeah, That's a great book
1: Um,
3: Uh, I Um What am I trying to say? Um, I've been like very slowly rereading that over the past several months. Um, It's a good book. It's also, uh, I feel like maybe the description that you gave of it uh, doesn't get across how like goofy and at times stupid it is. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. There's a whole section about how he's, like, deeply obsessed with William Shatner, but is, like, absolutely not interested in ever meeting or interacting with William Shatner. He just wants to, like, hero-worship him from a distance.
1: I I am particularly taken with the section where um, he casts himself as either Marcus Aurelius or the Emperor Nero. It's, um, it's
3: Marcus Aurelius. Nero didn't write like okay. that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so he casts himself as Marcus Aurelius, like, you know, giving himself a little pep talk on New Year's Eve, like, this year I'm gonna drink water, and I'm not gonna set resolutions that are, like, unrealistic for myself. I just think that drinking more water and reading more, but not buying more books because I buy so many books that I don't read. And, like just giving himself a sort of like New Year's pep talk, just like one just cut me to the core of who I am. <laughs> and two uh, is very good, very yeah. Silly. Um, it's it's
3: a it's a very good bit because um, it's clearly written by somebody who as like possibly is like a child or a teen, but certainly as a young person was given Marcus Aurelius' meditations and told, like, this is an important philosophical text, which, like, it is. But it's also just, like, a guy writing in his diary about how all the people who annoy him in his life are just, like, no big deal to him. And He doesn't even think about them. <laughs> because, uh, <laughs> fundamentally they can't affect his soul, which is, a like, an eternal object. Like, <laughs> he... <laughs> Marcus Aurelius, like... Invented stoicism so that he could chill out about all the stuff that really bothered him all the time.
1: <laughs> um, Intense queen energy to Marcus Aurelius. <clears throat> and I mean that as in gay guy queen, not as in like. So, oil yeah, oil queen. <laughs>
3: it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fun, it's a very entertaining book, as well as being like yeah. kind of personally harrowing at points.
1: Yes. Yes, um, um, <clears throat> that's basically all I had for um something that may shock and discredit you. Um, I've got one other thing that I read right after that, but that might be a slightly longer conversation. So instead, I will talk about um Donald Duck. Um, if you if somebody wanted to hear that longer conversation, is there
0: another podcast that you are planning to have that conversation on?
1: No, 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 not not hunter x hunter 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 i'm just going to talk about on gotham because m and i are both like hard
0: i thought that's what you were talking about
1: or m is a hardcore hunter hunter person and i'm becoming one so sorry i thought that's what you meant by no i just meant um donald duck um yeah
0: the the, (laughs) the duck animal
1: yeah, he has a funny voice
0: Yeah, that's Something what he sounds like, that. like. He kind of sounds The like thing that. is,
1: when you read the comic books He doesn't sound like that, so I kind of forget He doesn't sound like that
0: He doesn't sound like that only because you can't do the voice Yeah, I can't do the voice so. If you could do the voice, you would be doing the voice all the time
1: Yes, I would <laughs> <laughs> I definitely, You know me so well
3: I've not tested this, but I definitely feel like If I were reading Donald Duck comics I, I would mentally have him be doing the voice Perhaps I should test I just, this for,
1: you should read um (laughs) so okay fantagraphics has been collecting and putting out for a few years um the all the carl barks donald duck comics all the don rosa donald duck comics um and various other artists um uh, i I think his name is william godfrey working on mickey mouse um, various like european artists working on disney comics in other countries But I was reading some Carl Barks Disney comics, uh, or Donald Duck comics, because they're great. Fantagraphics, for some reason, starts at Volume 5 for the Carl Barks stuff. Um, I thought when I first picked this up that that would be because, um, like, maybe Volumes 1 through 4 were, like, lost, but, like, maybe could still be found. I didn't know if they had some plan for this. But Volume 5, the first story in it is Christmas on Bear Mountain, which has the debut of Scrooge McDuck, which might be why they started with Volume 5. It might be that they started with Volume 5 because they knew everybody would want to read Christmas on Bear Mountain. Uh, that story is great. And every other story in this volume is great, but um, in particular, I like Christmas on Bear Mountain. Um, Scrooge is just a villain when he's introduced. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. <laughs> I always thought Scrooge was a villain. Like, I thought that was his whole deal
0: for years.
1: Well, so. In the introduction of Scrooge, he's Donald's rich, you know, bah humbug uncle, Mm -hmm. um, who decides that he's going to play a trick on Donald and the boys uh, to, like... um... Donald and the boys? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Huey, Dewey, Louie. He's going to play a trick on them. Uh, He's invited them up to, like, his winter cabin, and he's, like, stocked it full of presents and... um... Uh, all these things and he's like oh but i'm gonna sneak up on them in a bear costume i'm gonna prove that donald is not brave and therefore he's a bad person and donald scrooge is a weirdo (laughs) scrooge in his introduction is a weirdo and a villain (laughs) yeah me too um and eventually like you know hijinks ensue and eventually scrooge is impressed with donald and like you know gives them a nice big real christmas feast and like all the presents in the world and it's very nice uh then he doesn't show up for like the rest of this volume basically because he was just supposed to be a one-off character who gradually keeps coming back as still bah humbug uncle and then eventually just like through continuing to show up and show up and show up just becomes like the protagonist of these stories uh This is how you get the Scrooge, who in the who is just the protagonist of the cartoon. Um, Mm -hmm. Well, okay. Don Rosa and Carl Barks are very particular about not having their comics referred to as Ducktales. They're very in the same way that like Tomino is like, do not have me sign your Mobile Suit Gundam Origin um, DVDs. You cannot bring your like Ducktales Mm -hmm. DVDs to like Don Rosa to sign at a convention. He will turn you away. But, uh, yeah, uh, Christmas on Bear Mountain, it's wonderful. You've been loving those ducks. I love those ducks. You watched the duck movie. I watched DuckTales the movie, just last just last night. Yeah. Um, those mighty ducks. No, different movie. Oh, sorry. And then, uh, last thing, I, I finished reading. I started this months ago and um, fell off because of being busy and stuff. But I finished Reinventing Comics by Scott McCloud. Um I think that I I left off right as the like second part where he gets into like the new millennium digital age stuff. And <clears throat> found that stuff all kind of not as exciting as I wanted it to be, not because I think he's making bad arguments, but because like he Scott McCloud feels in those chapters such enthusiasm and excitement that he cannot contain in any way for like the internet um and it feels like everything's kind of like running off the road as he like starts to talk about one thing and then he's like oh but this other thing that's really exciting me i have to talk about that that's the most important no 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 this is really important i gotta like bring this and there's like a information density to the way that he talks about you know the infinite canvas of the internet and these sorts of things um i don't think it's bad i just um i found understanding comics and the first part of reinventing comics a little more compelling as like a reading experience whereas like the last part of reinventing comics was like hard to get through because of it's not unstructured but he's just going through so many things at like a lightning quick pace um that there was a, it was sometimes hard for me to, like, hold on to stuff through that last part. So,
3: yeah. I feel like, also, the parts of Reinventing Comics where he's extremely excited about the internet are maybe a little hard to read because he makes a lot of predictions, many of which are incorrect. Mm-hmm. He's very, very excited about the idea of, um... Uh, I forget exactly what he calls them but basically like micro payments. like he thinks that the internet is going to enable people to buy like a an issue of comics online for like 25 cents and that this is going to be like a business model that's going to allow independent creators to sell their work directly to readers uh to some extent kind of without like publisher involvement And none of that ever materialized. Um, And, you know, certainly there are, like, ways in which the internet has enabled comics creators and, like, independent artists of all kinds to get paid. But um, it's not at all been what he envisioned. And I certainly wouldn't say that it's that, like, the influence of the internet on art economies has been purely a good thing for like small artists
1: um it's definitely uh fun to uh read that book in the midst of the art community tearing itself apart over nfts you know yes (laughs) (laughs) um or like i think
3: and like i think one thing that's striking is that he was wrong about this almost immediately too like when I was reading reinventing comics, when I was like a like a tween, I already knew that he was kind of wrong about this stuff because I was into web comics, and I knew that mm-hmm. all the web comics I liked were supporting themselves with t-shirt sales, and a yeah. little bit t-shirts with ads. and ads. Yeah,
2: yeah.
3: Um. So yeah, <laughs> like it's entertaining and 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 interesting, intellectually interesting to read someone to see what it looked like the future was going to be like from, what, 2000, right? He wrote that in 2000. Um, But uh, it's a little depressing, I guess, at times.
1: Yeah. um, Well, and, like, how do I want to say the thing? Um, I I guess McCloud, like, at every turn in this book, um underestimates um capital <laughs> in some ways. Yeah. It's like no no no, publishers we won't need publishers anymore because um like we'll be able to you know put things out uh, and and directly to the consumer and we'll cut out the middleman um and like doesn't account for the fact that one of the purposes of the middleman is um to get a paycheck that's stable so that you can afford like health insurance you know (laughs) um like mcleod just like thoroughly underestimates like corporate consolidation um that that venture capital would enter into the realms like patreon or kickstarter of like taking a cut off the top of um um that that sort of crowdfunding like Corporations would invent a new way to be a middleman, even when they weren't publishing it directly, you know? Um. Yeah,
3: I would say that he is, like, because there's this kind of uh, alternative comics dream, right, that has existed right? at least since the 60s, of like, yeah, we're gonna go it on our own, man, and we're gonna make <laughs> comics that, like... Uh, the 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 big bad comics code can't censor and like we're gonna do it without like the big two comics publishers we're gonna be able to make comics about anything and it's it's gonna be like gross and sexual and
1: racist. Um, and uh, <laughs> I love Robert Crumb. I don't actually. <laughs> and and like
3: I don't want to. I don't mean to slander uh, Scott McCloud by saying that like he is invested in all of the things that sucked and continue to suck about the, like, alternative slash, like, independent comics scene as it developed over the decades. But he's definitely invested in the kind of dream of independent, unfettered comics art being somehow Mm -hmm. more real and raw and... I don't know. I, I read this very interesting article recently that was basically a review of this um, kind of retrospective on Fantagraphics as a publisher. Um, yeah, that, I was that reading was, that too. Yeah, that was extremely. I I should I should figure out I should find actually the the name of that article so that we can like. I plug can it here. Pull,
1: pull it up. I believe. It w- I want to say it was in the Comics Journal, but actually the Comics no, Journal might be owned by Fantagraphics, no, w- so...
3: No way it was in the Comics Journal, because it was all about how the guys yeah. who run the Comics Journal
1: are fucking assholes.
3: Um, right,
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I had it backward in my head. Um, I'll scroll through my Twitter and find this. You talk about it for a sec.
3: So basically, uh, what I'm trying to say is that I think there's been this idea for a long time, and it probably even predates like this kind of 60s counterculture origin that I'm giving it, but of like... Mm-hmm. um you know, comics that stick it to the man. And there's always been, like, a faint kind of anti-corporate strain to that, right? Um, But rarely, if ever, has this been actually about being anti-capitalist. It's usually been about, like, the guys who want to make these countercultural comics themselves getting rich and becoming bosses um yeah and uh i think that mcleod is kind of optimistic enough and like earnest enough in his beliefs about like genuine like epical change in like the art economy that like i do think his horizons horizons are broader than just the idea of like oh, me and my buddies will be the guys who own the company instead of those assholes in suits. But he doesn't have, like, any kind of real, uh, I guess, he doesn't have any kind of class analysis or just, like, I'm not even, it's not even like I'm like, oh, he'd be smarter if he were a Marxist, although I guess I do believe that, but he just, <laughs> he's, he's not... uh he he is excited about proposing possibilities for how this dream that has existed for decades might actually become real. And he has very little cynicism about like, well, okay, if this dream has existed for decades, why has it not yet become real? And why would the introduction of the internet suddenly make it possible? Um, like, I guess this is a very, you know, 2000, turn of the millennium idea that all of a sudden the Mm -hmm. internet is going to transform everything magically and like the forces that have shaped our lives and made them suck in various ways are going to like disappear because of the internet
1: um yeah i cannot find this dang article um (laughs) but yeah like and, and so i have a pretty new printing of reinventing comics reinventing comics ironically not available like digitally on any sort of digital distribution platform as far as i can find um which is funny i'm sorry it's funny
3: it is i think i found um, uh the article um oh so it was published on in a magazine called solrad s-o-l-r-a-d um yes
1: thank you the author
3: is tony wei ling um, and it's re- the book it's reviewing is called "We Told You So: Comics as Art." Um, yeah. And uh, the title of the review is "Satire Under These Conditions: Fantagraphics and the Racist Romance of Vitality."
1: Yeah. Um. So I have like a relatively new printing of Reinventing Comics. It's got a new cover that I hadn't seen before. Um. There's like a much older cover that i'm more familiar with um and on this new cover that probably came about within the last five to ten years maybe even within the last two years i don't know um there's like a quote from frank miller about how vital this book is uh which i think just having a frank miller quote on your book that you're printing in 2021 is evidence enough that like scott mcleod sort of has like blinders on for like you know Creative expression is all that matters, and, like, unfettered, like, creative freedom is- it matters more than anything else, because, um, if you had any sense in your goddamn brain, you wouldn't put a Frank Miller quote on your book in 2021. (laughs) I
3: mean, except that if you're Scott McCloud and you're, um, kind of existing in the comics community that you're in, even though, Mm -hmm. as- I agree with you, like, Frank Miller, to me, is persona non grata in 2021, but- i don't think he is persona non grata in yeah. like comics publishing i think he's a great yeah. he's one of the giants um and i think that's the world that McCloud moves in
0: um
1: yeah for for any listeners who might not be familiar with frank miller um is that 300
0: 300
1: sin city <laughs> um have you bat- ever been in it huh no, V for Vendetta is Alan Moore? Alan
3: Moore, and Alan Moore is persona non grata in the comics community in certain ways, <laughs> but he's also un- objectively one of the giants, and also he's yeah. perfect. Is is he Alan
1: a- Moore is persona non grata because he's made an ass of himself. I thought it was because he chose to be. Yes, is that the guy. Yes, yes. yes.
3: Okay. He 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 hates. He's he, a wizard. He yes, yes, he's a wizard, and he God. believes superheroes are fascist, and he's correct about that.
1: <laughs> um. Frank Miller, if people are not familiar, 300, Sin City, um, Batman Year One, a legendary run on Daredevil, um, and also Holy Terror. uh, Hmm. Frank Miller, um, a long time, decades long as a Republican, huge supporter of Ronald Reagan, um, huge supporter of George Bush, um, and he's always been this way. Post 9-11, he has veered into like really hateful racist rhetoric about needing the necessity to like nuke the middle east essentially um and and like writing um books that were supposed to feature like batman in them about like batman going and doing a genocide in the middle east before dc was like well you can put this out but 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 not with batman you know um you make up a new guy for that yeah, made up a new guy for that. Also, DC didn't put it out. It was just another publisher, oh, also owned by Warner Brothers, put it out. <laughs> um, Frank Miller is a racist, is a um, homophobe, um, is every manner of bigoted that you can think of. And I think like Scott McCloud is like, well, he's one of the he's one of the greats. He wrote Batman Year One, and I love Batman Year One too. I'm not going to pretend that I don't, but like. I wouldn't put a cover or a, a quote from him on the cover of my book. Mm-hmm. That's all.
0: Sure. Yeah. I'd never heard any of them. Yeah. I, I knew about the Batman uh, going to the Middle East part. I didn't know who wrote it. Yeah. You'd mentioned that Batman before. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know all of Batman's greatest flaws. I do.
1: <laughs> you want to talk about what you've been reading?
0: So. I read the first of the Powder Mage trilogy um promise of blood by i believe brian mcclellan i don't have it in front of me right now um <clears throat> very like i remember picking this up at a bookstore oh, like i don't know six years ago or something uh i thinking oh that kind of looks neat they've got muskets and stuff and it is it's perfectly neat it's fine um Very much a modern fantasy with, like, here is how, here's our, like, magic system. And here are, here's the section of the magic system that is mysteries that we're going to uncover through the plot. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's like, oh, these, because it's all delivered in characters So it's like, oh, yeah, we know how powder mages work. We know how the three tiers of magic work. You, You have a knack, which is like a, just a weird thing one of the main characters doesn't sleep. Hmm. Uh, You know, one of them is like, he can pick any lock instantly or something like that.
1: This is a quirk from my Hero Academia. So
0: Yeah, basically. Um, The main ones are that, you know, Olam doesn't sleep, so he's the bodyguard for the the, um, field marshal. That's one of the POV characters. Um, Then there's the... Marked, which are powder mages, they can sense black powder, they can ignite black powder with their mind, they can ignite black powder with their mind and direct that force anywhere they want, uh, such as into the ground to make the bullet not fire, or like, you know, just out into the air so that, you know, that force is not used the way it's supposed to. Um, and if they get gold in their bloodstream, they can't use their powers anymore. Uh, and then there's privileged who are the higher sorcerers who they can manipulate the five elements and each element is tied to a finger on their hand and that it's different for each person because it, it changes based on how powerful you are in each element. So your thumb, whatever your thumb element is, that's the one you're best with. Hmm. So you're um, pointing
1: your thumb at people to shoot fire. No, you're
0: you're manipulating your hands and okay. doing magic signs and stuff, but whatever that your is associated with your thumb is your like most powerful okay. the one you have the strongest connection to. Uh, and all this systems and then there's like oh, also there's this girl. She does weird stuff that nobody else really understands. She like makes she like can track you based on like if she gets your hair she can follow you to the ends of the earth. Um, If she, uh, she's, uh, by the end of the book, she's like pulling out these wax dolls that she's using to like influence people around her. Um, And it's like, oh, this weird uh, savage magic that we don't really understand. Mm. Um, And the book was perfectly interesting. I liked what was going on. I was interested in the mysteries. I was interested in the plots. And then it ended and I thought, well... Okay. <laughs> I don't have any desire to read the second one. I wasn't disappointed. Uh, I wasn't... The you know, third one's called The Autumn Republic. Yeah. I wasn't underwhelmed because I wasn't even, like, whelmed. <laughs> <laughs> it's <funny>. like... <laughs> um, it was totally fine. I There's some cool stuff in there. There's some fun scenes, some fun characters, some fun gimmicks. And I just... Eh. It was a book, and now I'm done.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. uh, Also that guy, also a Mormon. (laughs) You can't (laughs) escape them. The BYU writing program, it has long fingers. (laughs) Uh, I also went back and read The Coward, Mm. which I mentioned on this podcast a while back.
1: It was really good. Yeah. You discovered the author has a
0: YouTube. The author has a YouTube channel. He's a very normal person. Mm-hmm. He tweets about like line the line at the Starbucks, that kind of thing, right? <laughs> like, oh, I'm gonna. It's a, it's a big tea day today, you know. It's very cold. Mm-hmm. He's very normal, which means that he's written his book. Like, he's put out six books before this one, because mm-hmm. normal people just like in, <laughs> in the in the in the like field of YouTube authors. The more more normal and boring you are, the more likely you are to have finished books. Whereas the more eccentric and online you are, I find the the less likely the those uh, creators Daniel Green has finished one book. Two. Two books. Oh, a book and a novella. <laughs> <laughs> um
3: You know, I have to but... say, I feel like the I didn't previously know this, that basically everyone in book YouTube is trying to write their own fiction work. Mm-hmm. Now that you've, like, said that, or or really just implied that, I realize that, of course, it's fucking true. And that's why it's bad. Criticism is its own goddamn thing. I don't ever want to write fiction. Like, I'm not saying, okay, there have been times in my life where I've wanted to write fiction. I'm not saying it could literally never happen in my life.
1: But... I don't want to make a career writing fiction.
3: And I think that people who make criticism because they would really rather be writing fiction and to view criticism as like fundamentally a way of producing advice for writing fiction are bad at criticism so now i understand why book youtube is so bad yeah basically
0: (laughs) um at least a lot of the ones that i have seen there are some that i'm like not convinced are also trying
1: to be authors but um one of the youtubers you watch has pivoted into having a netflix show well i don't know that she's pivoted into that
0: but she does she was on a netflix show she like hosted some kind of show
1: yeah which is like a different trajectory but like the the other thing about all these authors who do youtube stuff is that they're net like daniel green is never gonna say anything bad about um any book specifically because he doesn't want to piss off a publisher or a connection or i
0: will say that booktube and authortube are different okay but there is some overlap
1: there's there's booktube
0: people who either secretly or just not obviously also want to be authors and there's also authortube as an independent phenomenon of like authors who make youtube content for authors Hmm. and that is like a that's where you get into writing advice YouTube, which is a whole other,
1: sometimes a whole other can of worms. Writing advice YouTube is centuries old in some ways. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um, what
0: if you showed what was happening <laughs> instead
1: of telling? Oh, interesting. You know, that's actually CIA shit. No one's ever said that before. <laughs> what if you
3: neither showed nor told what was happening? That's that's the books I
2: like
0: <laughs> Yeah I guess that, that's That's pretty accurate <laughs> What if you just What if nothing happened
1: Can I Do you actually know the thing about show don't tell Being a CIA yes, psyop I okay, cool. it, Listeners if you don't know What I'm talking about Just google Iowa writers workshop And CIA And just read everything you can find
3: uh, Okay I'm not sure that. I would recommend that <laughs> I'm not saying that the Iowa Writers' Workshop was not funded by the CIA because that is true. That's that's historical fact. But I think if you just Google Iowa Writers' Workshop CIA, you're gonna find, first of all, people making what I would say are outlandish claims. Like, I, yeah, I don't think it's actually true that every, uh, every aesthetic idea that was ever put out by something that got money from the CIA was like a plot that the CIA came with up with to undermine the left. Cause I just don't think they were ever that competent or ever that no. capable of understanding art. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't mean nothing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not worth getting into here. I just find it an endlessly fascinating subject. And <laughs> like, On some level, I enjoy buying into some of the more conspiracy theory sort of aspects to it, even though I know that some of this is a little Um, far-fetched.
3: I'm not not trying to say that the sort of aesthetic ideas of the Iowa Writers Workshop are like... Like, there is a certain, um, let's say, Americanism to those ideas Mm -hmm. that is, Mm -hmm. like, incredibly influential in American literature, and I think it's not unreasonable to look at that and be like, what the fuck? Why is this so influential? Why are we all still worshipping at the altar of Show Don't Tell when that's just an idea that some people came up with at one particular time? Um, I just... Yeah.
0: You know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the Coward. The Coward. It's a great book. Uh, Weirdly, had some typos. A thing I don't usually notice in books. But, um... Guy... Ten years ago, he went on a quest with ten heroes to defeat the Ice Lich and save the world from eternal winter, and um, he was the only one who came back. He was a hero, but he was also broken from the experience, and now ten years later, the weather is starting to sour again, and he has to go back to the north to face this again. Uh, And ends up gathering a handful of companions along the way, and it is mostly about those characters walking through each of the countries on their way up the the big um through the five kingdoms and it's like an island uh, with the five kingdoms on it and they are walking north to the um what the ice crown i don't know what they remember what they, the circle it's the border where like uh ground stops and you're walking on ice mm-hmm. um and it's just these uh five characters and they're just going up there talking about their reasonings for joining the quest and then later talking about their real reasonings for joining the quest uh and there's some conspiracies happening in the background as well because this is the first part of a duology um and it's just really interesting they go up there and they uh see what's up there and uh Make some decisions about how to deal with it. It's, it sounded good. It's really interesting. I had a good time reading it. These characters are pretty cool.
3: It's a hell of a title.
0: Yeah. The second one was going to be called The Warrior, I think. That's not as good a Less title. Less good title.
1: Less good title.
0: Not as good as The Coward.
1: You've also... You've also been reading about our lord and savior, Kenshiro. That's right. Uh... Can you tell me about him and his punches? He's
0: va- okay, I, I can tell you 50 distinct facts about Kenshiro. Please. From 50. <laughs> Fist of the North Star. Okay.
3: I don't think we need all 50, but please give us some of those.
0: Autumn,
1: have you seen this? You have pulled... You're pulling up your own Twitter right now? Ha- Autumn, have you seen this? I don't know
0: that I've seen this. Give me a number between 1 and 20.
1: Um,
0: 19. The 19th fact about Kenshiro is... Uh, his voice can mimic many sounds including animal cries
1: give me um 12
0: hip size or circumference i guess 105 centimeters uh breathing capacity can you tell me his breathing capacity uh about 8700 cc how's his sense of taste sensitive enough to detect poisonous food and such there is so much here <laughs> there's 50 50 of them punching strength can split a rock that has five meters of thickness Uh, Diving time, 53 minutes
3: (laughs) What does it say about his favorite food?
0: I believe that's on the list That is, that is 45 here There's not much of a room for likes and dislikes at the end of the century Or the post-apocalyptic world
1: (laughs) So (laughs) 1999 and Mad Max identical
0: (laughs) Well, the nuclear war happened in 1990X
1: Ah, I see
0: Special skills include an internal biological clock with a margin of error of more than three seconds in a month. I don't know what that sentence means. (laughs) Ideal woman? His his license is uh, that he uh, was initiated into the secrets of the Hokuto Shinken passed between a single line of successors. His ideal woman is Yuria, who is no longer with us.
3: I'm so shocked to hear that his ideal woman is dead. That's not something I would ever I, have expected about a, a tough martial well, arts guy.
0: Weirdly, there's a, a woman on the cast right now who bears a striking resemblance to Yuria. But I'm sure that's coincidence. It's probably a coincidence. Uh, a different character's in love with her. So, so there
3: could never be any issues.
0: Yeah. That sounds there very straightforward. There don't to be any issues because that guy's about to die. <laughs> he got He got jabbed in specific pressure points where... Uh, Rao, the Fist King, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um... Uh, says, you're going to die in three days because I've hit you in the exact right places. Uh, and also, it's going to suck really bad. You're going to be in a lot of pain. And he's like, damn it. I have to live for... Uh, what's her name? M- uh, Mamia. Hmm. I have to I have to die for her because men fight and women... Uh, have children, and then they tell their children stories about men's fights.
1: (laughs) Gender.
3: So, okay, I have to admit, I I do know, broadly speaking, what Fist of the North Star is, in that I know it's an incredibly influential manga about, like, a god of martial arts.
1: Not literally. A
3: guy who is, like, an incredible martial arts force. I just realized that there's probably manga out there about actual gods. martial arts but he's not that named kenshiro um and that like everything's very like tough and post-apocalyptic but i do not actually know what the like narrative premise of fist of the north star is what's it about what happens
0: uh fundamentally kenshiro is um the sole heir of the hokuto shinken a particular style of martial arts focused on hitting pressure points on the body to cause different effects. Um, Usually when he does this, people explode. Sometimes after he utters his uh, sort of iconic uh, catchphrase, uh, you're already dead. uh, He wanders the post-apocalypse after... he he's, he was there the day that all all of it went down. He was in a, a shelter with his girlfriend, and he is he was one of the four potential heirs. He has three other adopted brothers, and now in this post-apocalyptic world, he is wandering the the world from village to village, basically just encountering villains and killing them and finding out that they were like goons to a bigger more evil guy and he goes to like take care of that guy and it it continues and he's like he's gathered up a handful of characters who are there's like two children and a woman who like he has met that are like his crew uh and he's like moving through the world trying to like help them be safe in the post-apocalypse and he has uh started encountering his other his older brothers who traditionally if you have multiple prospective heirs for the hokuto shinken technique uh the one who gets to inherit it is the heir because that is a technique that is focused into one line but um this guy didn't have any kids so he adopted four orphans and taught them and so the three that didn't get to be the heir would traditionally have their uh, either like memory of the technique erased or like their bodies their like capability to perform those techniques would be taken from them um probably using magic pressure point stuff um that didn't happen because the world blew up and also one of them killed their master so he has these three older brothers that are roaming the uh, uh, Apocalypse Countryside. And he, at this point in the manga, which I'm about 70 chapters into a 240-chapter story, it is dealing with those three characters. Mm -hmm. Um, He's got his immediately older brother, uh, whose name I've forgotten. Probably doesn't matter. Probably doesn't matter. He had a helmet. He was impersonating Kinchero. Then we have Toki, who's thing is that he also uses the same technique and use does pressure point stuff but specifically does it to heal people mm. he doesn't kill people he just goes around like poking people's legs to help them walk better and like healing people's ailments and stuff hmm. uh, and then there was a guy who impersonated him and started doing all sorts of sicko uh like Medical experiments on people trying to learn his technique. So they had to, they thought for a while that he was a villain, but he wasn't actually that one. That was a different guy. Um, and then there's uh, Rao, the oldest one, who is uh, the Ken or Fist King. Mm-hmm. He has a horse uh, and he's very powerful. They haven't beaten him yet. Um, yeah, that's the fake Toki you've pulled up on the screen right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just been fun. He shows up. He punches some guys. Usually they explode. Uh, he's got his his uh, wingman Ray, who does uh, who's one of the Nanto something. I don't remember the full name of that. But there's like a different school that has lots of different branches. And there are the seven stars. And there are like a, a collection of different guys that have different versions of that technique. One of whom was. Kenshiro's first rival Shin, who he fought over his, uh, who he fought with over his girlfriend, who is now dead. Mm. Um, I hate when girls die. Yeah, me too. Everyone hates it when girls die in this manga. Ray has like wind cutting stuff, so he'll like make a claw motion with his hand, and like slices will appear on somebody from a distance. Because he's like doing air pressure stuff with his his martial arts, and he's like constantly slicing people up, whereas Kenshiro is like blowing people up from the inside. Um, and they make a good team. Hmm. I don't know what the other hundred and fifty chapters are going to be about, though. Probably fights. Probably fights.
3: Yeah. It. it, uh, it I I've very much enjoyed uh, the stuff that you've been posting about it on your Twitter. Um, it it's definitely one of those things where like I knew it was incredibly influential, and then I look at the panels you're posting, and I'm like, damn, this looks like it was really influential because it reminds me yeah. of a ton of other stuff <laughs> I've seen.
1: Yeah, um, the art style I haven't I've looked at stuff you showed me. I haven't like spent much time like staring at it. The art style just reminds me of Berserk, straight up and down. Like Berserk yeah. just seems like it is doing this art style. <laughs>
0: You might also recognize some familiarity with um, Kinshiro's design if you are a fan of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Yes. Um, Because JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is, let's say, inspired by (laughs) Fist of the North Star in many ways. Um, But uh, I think Fist of the North Star is cooler and more interesting. Key Punch is so good. Should we talk about Mishborn? Uh, I suppose. Yeah, My theory I'd... about the uh, Fist of the North Star hardcovers co- not like being finished, ha- like people have been telling me that it's pretty likely that those will come out. So I might start collecting those. It's pretty good. The art is really good. But uh, other than that, I don't know that I have that much more to say about Hokuto Shin Ken. Yeah, Hokuto no Ken. I think I it's
3: watched. Hokuto no Ken. Yeah.
0: Hokuto Shinken is the martial
1: arts. I typed yeah. in Fisher the North Star, which is a different book. <laughs>
0: Goodreads has it listed as first of the North Star, so you know.
3: <laughs> Goodreads is such a crappy
0: website. It really is. Yeah. So um, I'm nine nine volumes in. I've got twenty seven total. But anyway, I'm yeah. keeping it. I, up.
3: I don't know of a ton to say about what I've been reading because most of what I've been reading has just been stuff I was reading last time we talked, so like I'm continuing with Orlando. Uh she finally finished the poem that she's been working on for 400 years, and then it occurred to her that she might theoretically want someone else to read it. Um, but conveniently for her, it's the end of the 19th century, and so publishing has been invented. Uh, she went into a bookstore <laughs> and was like, oh, wow, they just sell these things now, huh? Okay, please send me all the important ones to my mansion. And then she left. Um, and I guess they mailed her all books. Anyway, um, <laughs> that, that's been very interesting, um, but I probably am not actually going to have more to say about it until I like finish it and can have a bit more of a perspective mm-hmm. on it, I guess. And I'm continuing with Homestuck, and I don't have a ton to say about that. Uh, you know, it's very, very good how quickly you can hear Molly get invested in Vriska, and you're listening to <laughs> Let Me Tell You About Homestuck Alpha. Um, and not just in Briska. You can also hear... That's one of the things that is fun about that podcast in general is that you can hear Ashley excited to introduce Molly to all this stuff and Molly being like, damn, that is pretty good. Um, It's, it's charming. Uh, and I'm continuing with... I think maybe the last time we talked, I had finished uh finished the Fractal Prince and hadn't yet started the Causal Angel, and now I'm like a pretty significant chunk into the Causal Angel. And it's great. Uh the Causal Angel is all about who is gonna get their hands on the Kaminari Jewel, the key to plank locks. Um, and that's That means something to me now as a concept, because the book has kind of explained it. But I think it's better if you don't know what the fuck any of that means, and you just know that it's an important (laughs) jewel, and uh, obviously Jean Leflumber is trying to steal it. Um, Because what the fuck else would he be doing with something called the Kaminari jewel? Um, The Causal Angel is, uh, I think maybe the one thing I have to say about it, is that it focuses a lot more on zokus who are one of the major like factions in this setting and their whole deal um is that they use this quantum entanglement technology uh based in these things called zoku jewels where it's basically a zoku is a a group of people whose volitions like literally their wills are all entangled with the zoku jewels that they keep on their person um and so when you're in a zoku um, it has been created for some kind of purpose. Um, and the the entanglement technology of the Zoku Jewels kind of takes in everybody's will towards that purpose and in a mysterious way determines the ideal way to allocate the resources that everyone has to fulfill that purpose. And so, for example, um, if you were in a Zoku that was dedicated to the preservation of media, periodically you would just get, like, kind of a little nudge in, in your, like, mind that would be like, oh, I should go seed this one particular torrent. That torrent needs seeding. And just everyone in the Zoku would have this, like, weird influence on their mind that would collectively accomplish whatever goal they had all said they were going to do together. Um, So that is very cool, I think, conceptually. But also... Mm-hmm. Zokus are gamers This technology (laughs) was developed by gamers And they all think about the world In terms of games Like this whole maximizing allocation of resources Thing, they think about it on some level As a way to like Score points and like advance Um, and So they're all incredibly obnoxious (laughs) Um But also, like I said, very cool And so I'm enjoying all the Zoku stuff While also fucking hating the Zokus Um yeah.
0: This is no Zoku boy, no Zoku.
3: Ah, <laughs> uh, that's that's uh Never mind. I was gonna try to make a good, jo- good joke about that, but I can't.
1: Sorry. <clears throat> <laughs> well, Missport, the final empire. Yeah. The final empire. That's what it says. Your final empire. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <gasps> Let's talk about uh revolution and religion. Who wants to do who who's am I doing it?
1: You're doing it. I okay. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with these chapters. No.
0: I think they're rather good.
1: I read these chapters two hours ago. Yeah. Must be right fresh in your mind. No, it's not.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I don't remember a fucking Thing that happens in these chapters
0: We open in chapter 9 With Vin and Kelsier having a, uh, a Night of training They're doing a sort of I guess a game of tag Through the, through the streets of, of Mistborn City uh, Using their Mistborn powers um, Luthadel Yeah Mistborn City <laughs> They're just uh, doing a
3: ton of parkour it, It's fun
0: Yeah lots of parkour Doing tricks like throwing your coin pouch away so that they think that you're still moving in that direction because they're tracking you. It's cool. Um, They also invent those machines that uh, you put a penny in and it smushes it into a cool shape. Because uh, (laughs) they get into like a push war with this coin stuck between them and it just warps the coin a little bit. Um, it says it was Flattened and bent Which I was confused at at first But um, Then Vin gets a haircut and mm. looks like a girl And then in the back she of her it. head uh, She hears her brother saying You don't want them to see you as a girl And she's like well, whatever Shut um, uh, Meanwhile Seized is Pitching Vin another religion Which he's been doing a, a while now this one is Trilogism, Uh which is a, a. We can get into these religions on their own if we want to. Um, Trelogism is the stars one, right? Think so. Yes. Where one god. Yeah, is that's the stars. what he.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Sorry. No, you go ahead. Just yeah, the one that he's trying to pitch her on is a, a faith that. Views the stars as like the manifestation of, of their good deity and the sun as the manifestation of it, of like an evil force that opposes the stars.
0: Yeah, he only has one eye, so he shines it very brightly because he's jealous. Mm-hmm. Um, he also admits to knowing about over 560 other religions, and Vin's like, What the hell? That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> Um, she is still prepping her noble, uh, sort of cover identity, uh, has not been put to the test yet. She's still prepping, getting all her, like, flashcards, doing her quizzes, getting her hair done. Kelsier tells Seized that she's, uh, just really special and really good at Mistborning, but she needs more training. And then line appeared in front of the summary. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Kelsier tells us, the readers, that Vin's first ball will be at the end of the week.
1: Um, there's been a time skip also. I think just like a couple weeks, right? Uh, a couple months. A couple months? I missed that. It's been, it's, she's been training for a little while now. Okay. I got nothing. No? Here, I'm sorry. (laughs) This chapter is just nothing to me. I'm sorry. Uh, it, we're just settling into a new status quo, which is like a little bit, I just want things to get moving a little more, because...
0: Next week, we should be doing our first ball, which will be fun.
1: Yeah, it just feels like this chapter is, the first eight chapters are all exposition and then this chapter is like oh let's settle into a new status quo but there hasn't been that much to shake up the status quo Mm -hmm. i feel like you know this Um, this
3: chapter felt extremely like the first episode of a season of tv to me
1: yeah yes
3: um both in terms of the kind of narrative structure that you're talking about here where it's basically establishing like okay here's the new situation that we're all in here's like how everything has been established and how we're going to go forward from that way we've established things. Um, also it kind of like gives you a sense of, I guess where the important characters are and how they relate to each other. Right. Like we're getting Mm -hmm. a sense, not just of like, what is Sazed's deal, like that he's this sort of rememberer of religions, but also like what have the interactions between him and Vin been like? Um, yeah. Also there's that extended, uh, you know, Alamancy training duel scene which extremely feels like a cold open. Yeah. You know?
1: Um And also feels entirely superfluous. (laughs) I get that she's good at magic, but um I just don't need to hear all the details.
0: You need to we need to show that she has achieved basic competency in her like motor powers. Or like locomotion powers. Yeah. Um, so that we can have more scenes of her doing things other than walking. Mm-hmm. We can it have definitely...
3: I, I don't know. Yeah, I have to say I, I didn't... Maybe it's because I was kind of tired when I was reading this last night. Um, But it's such a visual scene, right? It's all yeah. about bodies moving in space. And it's also not just about that, but also about like what Vin can perceive from the environment around her, right? So it's like she's trying to sense where kelsier is she's trying to like look at where these uh lines of allomantic force are so she can see where bits of metal are around her and she's also like literally just um sensing things with her is it is it tin that enhances the senses yes um so she's using that and literally seeing things um but i didn't find myself able to like picture it visually very well um which is unfortunate um I think fight scenes in written fiction can be hard. Like, especially something like this where it's people's bodies moving around in ways that are impossible in the real world, right? Like, this is all Mm -hmm. about, like, vectors of movement that are happening totally orthogonal to gravity because that's how iron pushing and steel pulling work. Um... And, yeah, unfortunately, it's not really clicking for me. And I, I'm i sad about that because that's clearly going to be a
0: huge part of this book. I remember the later ones getting better, at least. So, yeah, there are there are like fight scenes I can remember. Yeah. Yeah. One. So I think uh, this one is just bad.
3: I think that probably if the fight scene had more meaning like, mm. if we knew what Vin's goal was, or what her opponent's goal was, or what her relationship is to her opponent, it would it would be more interesting. But this is just a training scene. There's an attempt to build a little drama by not telling you that her opponent is Kelsier until basically the end of the fight. But it's so obvious that what she would be yeah. doing at this point in time is training against Kelsier that
2: mm-hmm.
3: uh, when her opponent's name was not mentioned, I was like, oh, obviously it's Kelsier, right? Like, yeah. they're not just going to have her fighting some actual enemy at this point. That doesn't, like, make narrative sense.
0: Right. Oh. We also get the Ten Great Houses of Luthadel. Venture, Hasting, Ilariel, Techiel, Lacal, Erikel, Aracel, Erikel, Haunt, Urbane, and Búvidas. Urbane, also the name of Saint Urbane from uh, Demon's Souls. By the way. <laughs> great video game. <laughs> Um, came out years after this book, I, I guess.
1: The um, it's important to know Venture right now, uh, because she's going to a party at House Venture at the end of the week. But mm. um, I will say that five of these houses
0: are hyperlinked on the summary, and five of them are not. Yeah, <laughs>
3: <laughs> I. I I didn't mention this before when Lord Venture was first mentioned in this book, but I can't fucking cope with there being, like, an important noble family called Venture. <laughs>
1: well, you because better learn the... to cope. Because... <laughs> I...
3: <laughs> I know, but it's just... I'm just... He's fucking Rusty Venture to me. This is just what if Rusty Venture was a fucking, like, Victorian nobleman. And I... <laughs> and the problem is that's a hilarious and compelling image. That's, like, something the show would actually do, so... I think that's just lodged in my mind. It's not going to get out of here. That man thought- better not have a bodyguard, or I'm just going to die.
0: <laughs> I thought you meant venture, as in like a business venture. Like, well, yeah. that's also
3: funny, but that's like, <laughs> but but that that's just me being like, well, I think this is slightly funny. Um, hmm.
2: uh,
3: I guess language world building because I did notice that basically all the names. Most of the names of the other great houses sound like they are from the same language Ilariel, Techiel, Leka, Lekal, Erikeller, Erikel.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Venture is just an English yeah. word. Yeah. So it yeah. really stands out. <laughs> and I mean, that could be for a reason, right? Maybe venture is the youngest great house, and uh, that family didn't have a name before they became a great house, and so they just picked a word. Maybe it means something. Um, but also maybe it doesn't mean anything at all and it's just there to make me giggle because I like a <laughs> adult swim cartoon that probably Brandon Sanderson has never watched. I would be surprised. It doesn't seem like he'd enjoy it at all.
0: Maybe he just wanted a cool word. Like a I mean, I'm child. sure
3: that I'm sure that's what it is. It is a cool word. I think that's why they picked it for the cartoon as well.
0: Yeah. Chapter 10. Chapter 10. Vin is told that she's going to... Kelsier's very busy. He can't teach her everything about every metal. So she's going to basically uh, get a little training with each of the different Mistings
1: to learn their metal. And we're starting with Breeze, everyone's favorite. I will quickly note that this was Caesar's idea. Caesar was like, why don't you just have her train with, like, Breeze and Ham and... Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: so Breeze starts off by saying, okay, look. Fundamentally, every human interaction is based on manipulation anyway. We have, Soothers have, you know, a little bit of an advantage. But is it really that different from having a charming smile or, or a personable personality? And Vin thinks that he's full of shit. (laughs) Ham enters the scene and says, Hey, is it good or evil to overthrow the Lord Ruler? If he's a part of God and God created everything and God creates morality, then wouldn't rejecting God be evil even if he was doing the wrong thing? And then everyone seems to get really confused by this. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Even though it's... Oh, I, okay, finish the summary, but I was so annoyed. <laughs>
0: um, Cezed pitches Kelsier... Of, oh, um, so, the reason they're here is they're here to soothe emotions for an audience that is um, be, being recruited by Kelsier to join the Resistance. Uh, and... So, they are in this room, they pull like a, a board away from the wall and they can pe- sp- like spy into this dining room. And so that's what they're doing. Uh, and it seems to go pretty well. We get some insight into how you can use soothing. Like, if you just soothe everything except the one thing you want them to, to feel, you can essentially also uh, increase that from their perspective. So there's a lot of um, subtleties and a lot of moving pieces about like dealing with emotions, and you can usually get similar results from rioting or soothing, is, is what they what Breeze says. Because um, you're, it's always like you're never just having one emotion. Um, afterward, says it, pitches Kelsier on another religion. Uh, um, and uh this one is the Jaism Jaism unclear um, they just went around proclaiming their faith even when the Lord ruler uh, rose to power and started killing them all and they refused to like be subtle in any way about their faith because they were very like um, forthright about it um kilsir says that's not really his style but um he asked if there's a religion that includes the slaughter of noblemen as a holy duty but um say that doesn't have one we get a little bit more marsh here um i want more
1: i want more marsh a lot more marsh i liked him in that scene that we the one big marsh seed we got where he's the only person who was capable of like Telling Kelsier that Kelsier, you seem like a selfish asshole. <laughs> His plan is dumb. Um, just the only person who has ever in their life thought to do that. Um, Marsh is a hero. Um, and I want more of him. <laughs> they also find out that
0: uh, Cayman's lair has been attacked, but we'll get into that next chapter. <clears throat>
3: Okay, can I talk yes. about yeah, this, like, please. philosophical conversation? Okay. Please so do. So the, the, the philosophical dilemma that Ham is proposing here is a famous and ancient one. It's often called the Euthyphro Dilemma because uh, Plato poses it in the Euthyphro Dialogue. Uh, the, the, the way that it's phrased in, in Plato, Socrates asks this Euthyphro guy, Is the pious loved by the gods because it is pious, or is it pious because it is loved by the gods? Basically asking, is the thing that we consider to be moral goodness, is it good just because the gods say it's good, and it's like their sort of arbitrary choice? Or does kind of goodness exist, and then the gods want that to be the thing that people do because they reflect goodness? And then, obviously, there are all kinds of complicated responses you could have to this. Like, for example, the the sort of variation that Ham is expressing here is like, wait a minute. So, if God declares something to be good, does that automatically make it good? Or, does goodness exist outside of God, and does that mean that actually God could declare something good when it's really evil? Mm-hmm. And, I, I just... I'm not saying that I think it's, like, out of character for Vin or for Breeze to have the emotional responses to this that they do. Where Breeze is just like, ah, ha, ha, Ham, this is your usual bullshit, blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, Vin is kind of like, "Uh, what? Mm -hmm. Like, I think those are both characterful responses for those characters, but I also feel like the narrative is presenting this question as basically nonsensical, and I think that's absurd. I think it's very important. I think Kelsier should be thinking about it, because the question of, like, is the Lord Ruler God? Um, What does it mean if he is God? If we're saying that he's not, what does that mean? These are all questions that I think yeah. are important, and... um. Specifically, I think Vin should be thinking about them because it feels like the position Vin is in right now is that she kind of thinks that Kelsier's plan here is good because she certainly doesn't think that the life that the Ska currently leave- lead is like a good thing. So she kind of thinks that improving the situation for Ska is a morally good action. But she also does basically still believe that the Lord Ruler is God because that's what she's been taught her entire life and she hasn't really been given... Sufficient kind of basis to question it, even though Kelsier doesn't believe that. But Kelsier has never explained, like, "Oh, the Lord Ruler isn't God." Here's what they lied about, or, or here's what God is, or actually, God is a fake idea. Kelsier has not explained anything about what his broad perspective is on, uh, God or morality, and. It's not that I just the book is like throwing these questions up in the air and kind of juggling them. Mm -hmm. But it's it's the way that it's thinking through them is so strange to me because it's treating basically the thing that I find frustrating and confusing about this conversation and also about the stuff with Sazed kind of proposing religions is that it feels completely disconnected from the very real Moral feelings that these characters have about the things that they're doing, like Sazed has a strong moral sense. Clearly, Um, Sazed cares about what Kelsier is doing. Also, he has some kind of. uh... (sighs) We'll find out more about this in the later chapters. But but like Sazed existing as he living as he does and doing the things he does is a is a big. ...political... ...statement.
2: mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
3: And yet... ...beliefs about what God is... ...seem to be totally disconnected from the strong moral opinions... ...that we know the characters talking about God have.
0: Yeah. Uh, like... It, it feels like the part where... ...the Lord Ruler is considered God... It ...is like... ...added in after the fact... ...because it doesn't really yeah. affect anyone... Nobody really talks about it, and it doesn't really affect how they view the world. It kind of feels like a, a setting, like, note that doesn't really come up much. Like, if you, you, you wrote it in the document for your tabletop game, but then, like, the way you played the game just didn't end up focusing on that, so everyone forgot? Well, and,
1: like, Breeze brings up here, um, as Ham is talking, like, Breeze is like, well, he's not God, he's a sliver of infinity, which means um breeze says that he is a piece of god but he is not fully like omniscient omnipresent omnipotent I can, I can bring up the quote i would i would appreciate it because like it's so frustrating the way that it is um mentioned here and then not elaborated on because it's co- sort of comedy dismissed in the you know next three lines <laughs> Um, yeah, like I wanted the, somebody the... to just explain what that meant to them, you know. <laughs> um, here Nora had to go to the bedroom to get the book. She's bringing it back.
3: I, I've actually got it
1: up. Okay. Um.
3: So, cool. uh, yeah, Ham, Ham. Do you want to just like read Ham's whole yeah, proposition of the Euthyphro dilemma? Yeah. Yeah. Um. So he says. So I've been wondering, by overthrowing the Final Empire, are we doing something good or are we doing something bad? Vin paused. Does it matter? Ham looked taken aback, but Breeze chuckled. Well answered, the soother said. Ham glared at Breeze, then turned back to Vin. Of course it matters. Well, Vin said, I guess we're doing something good. The Final Empire has oppressed the Ska for centuries. Right, Ham said. But there's a problem. The Lord Ruler is God, right? Vin shrugged. Does it matter? Ham glared at her. She rolled her eyes. All right, the Ministry claims that he is God. Actually, Breeze noted, the Lord Ruler is only a piece of God. He is the sliver of infinity, not omniscient or omnipresent, but an independent section of a consciousness that is. Ham sighed. I thought you didn't want to be involved. Just making certain everyone has their facts correct, Breeze said lightly. Anyway, Ham said, God is the creator of all things, right? He is the force that dictates the laws of the universe and is therefore the ultimate source of ethics. He is absolute morality. Vin blinked. You see the dilemma? Ham asked. I see an idiot, Breeze mumbled. I'm confused, Vin said. What's the problem? We claim to be doing good, Ham said, but the Lord Ruler, as God, defines what is good. So by opposing him, we're actually evil. But since he's doing the wrong thing, does evil actually count as good in this case? Vin frowned. Well, Ham asked. I think you gave me a headache. Vin said. And I just, I don't know, I don't think Vin is this stupid. Like, this is a very clear and simple statement of this dilemma. Um, mm-hmm. And I think if Vin wants to say something like, I don't care about this, like, I, I just care about doing what Kelsier wants because Kelsier is the guy that I'm working for right now, or if she wants to say, no, this is stupid, he's not God, so it doesn't matter, what he's doing is obviously evil, Or if she wants to say, yeah, I guess we're doing something evil, who cares? There's all kinds of simplistic shutdown responses that a person could have to this that aren't duh, I don't get it. (laughs)
0: Like, (laughs) there have been multiple instances of people saying, ah, it's rough on the streets, you know, you gotta do a lot of dangerous and like, you know, sinister things on the streets. She could have just said that, like, oh, are we doing something evil? She's like, yeah, have you never stolen food? Mm-hmm.
3: yeah that uh, it I just don't think that I don't think that this concept that Ham wants to talk about is nearly as abstruse or impossible to respond to as the narrative is proposing that it is, yeah, mm-hmm. especially like. Like, I get that this is definitely Breeze's character, that Breeze understands these things and is kind of the only guy Ham has to talk about this stuff. So, like, Breeze knows this theological detail about how uh, the Lord Ruler is not actually really, like, the full-on creator god. He's just a piece of that. Um, and of Breeze will introduce ones. that complication, but he's not going to bother to think it through and be like, well... Since he's only a piece of God, maybe that means that all of his actions are not necessarily good. Um,
2: if he's not an addiction...
3: Yeah, he's just going to introduce that concept as a well-actually, and then later on be like, Oh, you're an idiot, Ham. Like, ugh, mm-hmm. so annoying. <sighs> Ham, Ham gets no respect.
1: That's true. Ham respect,
0: squad. That's this podcast but not the meat i don't like the meat that much
1: oh i respect ham the meat i prefer turkey okay um other stuff in this chapter uh marsh's old
0: nickname is iron eyes but people stopped calling him that because it felt too much like talking about inquisitors with actual iron in their eyes why did they start calling him that in the first place then
1: because he has a hard stare. I know, I just think he would have come up with a different... <laughs> 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 Who comes up with that nickname, calls him that like three times, He's like, a oh, seeker, right? I don't
0: know. That doesn't use iron, first of all, but it does, it is eye-themed. I guess so. Um,
1: is... I,
3: I definitely think we're supposed to think that Vin and uh, Lestiborne, or whatever this character is going to be called later, have some kind of vibes going on uh because because vin uh is like catches his eye and and chats with him and tries to ask him about this nickname thing even though he's impossible to understand um so clearly she kind of likes him i guess yeah
1: i don't know um chapter 11 yeah the speech is the speech itself is not that interesting i feel like um It's it's not all on screen either yeah it's not all on screen um and i guess the one like detail that isn't noted here in the summary uh that nor like kind of paraphrased kind of add stuff to um is it like breeze is like we're only getting like a couple people from each of these meetings we're not going to hit our like ten thousand goal um i guess it's like plot stuff that mm-hmm. is important to note uh so they need to think bigger than just you know meetings of the local communist party <laughs> So they're going to try and get a hold of that guy that
0: was doing the canal scheme.
1: Yes. Um, So try and get more folks. Yeah. And so that they can infiltrate the ministry.
0: Yeah. Because that's Marcia's job. He says it's very difficult. (laughs) Chapter 11. We go to Cayman's lair. It has been completely fucked. Everything's (laughs) Everything's <laughs> broken. There's gore everywhere. People have been torn apart. Um, of particular note, is Ulef, the other like young guy from Cayman's crew, who uh, appears as if someone has ripped his ca- ribcage apart with their bare hands. Seized um, uh, recites a prayer from another religion and explains that they're a little bit about them. Um... Milev's body, the, the guy who was put in charge after Cayman was removed, was found tied to a chair with strong evidence of having been tortured. Um, Kelser goes to see if um, he can find Cayman, and when he goes to where all the beggars are, he finds Cayman dead and on a hook, which is a sort of traditional uh, punishment for people who misuse allomancy. And Vin, uh, has followed Kelsier here, and they talk about the fact that, um, that Inquisitor that they, that was on their trail before, is still following her, but they probably just think that she's a Misting. They probably don't know that she's misborn. Mm-hmm. So, at least we have that. Yep.
1: Um, uh, I... This and the fight scene in the beginning are where I just felt myself grating a little bit against um, Brandon's like, quote unquote, like, you know, clear glass window writing approach, where um, we're constantly told there's a bunch of gore everywhere, but it's just kind of like, he's not going to really get into it. He kind of (laughs) wants to like, make everything sound threatening and menacing and scary. But he's not gonna do the prose work to um, describe that. Just that. Oh, there's mingled corpses. But that's really all you get. Grading for me, I guess, in this chapter. Um, doesn't it just makes it not land? You know, it makes the effect not fully come through to me. So,
3: yeah. Um, I, I I don't yeah. It's it's a little weird. I I'm not sure that I think it would have been more if like I'm not sure I think it would have been a better chapter if the writing style had conveyed the horror of what Vin is feeling more compellingly because mm. I'm not really sure that like horror at the sight of death is like a a thing that I strongly want in this story, I guess. Yeah, that's fair. Um I but I I don't know. Um it, it, I I think maybe it would be uh basically it feels that all all that this is doing is trying to book the Inquisitors really strong, right? Yes. Yeah. This is trying to tell us that the Inquisitors are really scary bad guys. And they're fucked um, up. Yeah, and that's fine, Um, but I already kind of knew that. Like, the story has already strongly implied that. And I suppose I wish this was more important for Vin's character. Because there's this moment of Vin being like, Oh, this is my fault. Like, the Inquisitors went after these guys, because I have Mistborn powers, and I was working with them, and I kind of cared about some of these people, and now they're dead in horrible ways because of me. And Kelsier is just like, no, no, no. It's not your fault. It's Cayman's fault. It's fine. And Vin is like, yeah, I didn't care about any of these guys. um, And... I don't know. I just, I wonder whether the idea of like Vin having blood on her hands and like trying to reckon with that is actually going to matter or if it's just something that's happening in this one scene to make us scared of the Inquisitors. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It it, it could be that this is actually going to be built up into something more, in which case I take back my cynicism, but
0: yeah.
1: Nora, you got anything for this chapter?
0: Mm, No, not really. I do have some things to read.
1: You do. Um, I guess my last thought about this chapter and these chapters generally is just that, like, I guess this is where I am... These three chapters almost made me wonder if we should go back to weekly. I don't know that I'm going to push for that right now because my schedule is going to be changing but these three chapters i was just like
2: the
1: the the the, i i feel like this book plays so much better for me when i'm reading it quickly and going through it slowly i'm like well nothing much happens in this chapter nothing much happens in this chapter you know um and i just i I wish i was moving through the book more quickly because i do enjoy it a lot you know and there's yeah i just felt like i was grading against the book today a little bit
3: Yeah, I think it wouldn't be unreasonable either to move our schedule to more frequent or if uh, that doesn't, like, work. If recording more often doesn't work for us, I think reading more for our bi-weekly episodes would also make sense.
1: Yeah, Um, that might be the thing to do. But we can discuss that more off-air. I was just talking kind of, like, broadly. But I think, yeah, either of those might work out. We'll talk about it.
3: Yeah, yeah.
0: Epigraph Story Chapter 9 is... In the end, I worry that my arrogance shall destroy us all. Chapter 10. Damn, go off, King. <laughs> <laughs> it amazes me how many nations have united behind our purpose. There are still centers, of course, and some kingdoms regrettably have fallen to wars that I could not stop. Still, this general unity is glorious, even humbling to contemplate. I wish that the nations of mankind hadn't required such a dire threat to make them see the value of peace and cooperation. This is... Uh, let me read the last one. Okay. Chapter 11. It seems Rashek represents a growing faction in Terrace culture. A large number of the youths think their unusual powers should be used for more than just fieldwork, husbandry, and stone carving. They are rowdy, even violent, far different from the quiet, discerning Terrace philosophers and holy men that I have known. They will have to be watched carefully, these Terrace men. They could be very
1: dangerous if given the opportunity and the motivation. So, the one on Chapter 10, I thought was really interesting. Uh, I don't know that we've gotten this picture before of whenever this person is writing um you know before going and uh vanquishing the deepness or whatever Mm. um like it's just hard to imagine in some ways there being many disparate kingdoms in the setting we've seen so far Mm. i think partially because we really have only seen one city so it's like hard to imagine like how big is the final empire? You know, how are their kingdoms? We only see this little tiny bit of it. Um, I, I I hope that we get a little more uh, stuff about that because I just think that's interesting and it's just not a side of this that we've seen before that I, you know, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah,
3: I, I, I agree. I, I think that uh, something else that for me has like... Uh, uh, mm, Given me a little taste of that concept, it is it talking about this huge number of religions that once existed? Because <clears throat> clearly, you know, that implies as well, that implies a huge number of different cultures, right? Mm-hmm. Um I mean, obviously, you know, one one, I guess, nation or or whatever can have multiple different religions, but um obviously at some point in the past this was a much less Homogeneous world. Right, um, right. And so that's interesting, I think. Um, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I also think that, uh, I mean, I think I've said before that it is my belief that the person who is like the kind of author of these little um, epigraph snippets is the is the Lord Ruler.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and I think that this thing that he thinks oh. about Tarisman is an obvious kind of suggestion of that, because
2: mm-hmm.
3: uh, clearly in the current day, you know, terracemen are understood to be the consummate servants. Um, and uh, there doesn't seem to be some awareness that they have magic powers.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, so it sounds like this ancient hero whom i contend becomes the lord ruler made terrisman into servants somehow to control them and ensure that their powers wouldn't be used to rise against him yeah i feel like that's being very obviously yeah. foreshadowed by the yes. thing he says here yes
1: that that plays exactly into something that says is talking about in this chapter i don't says doesn't say anything about magic powers but um he says things like the keepers
3: and, yeah, I mean, he kind of. I guess it's at the end of um chapter, uh cha- chapter, um ten. Yeah, he he does he says something about like that uh being a keeper and like just living. Oh, no, it's not a th- okay. I'm sorry, but he says something about how like just living the life that he does is dangerous for him. Yeah. Um. And. Uh, I don't think it's a matter purely of his, I guess, beliefs, um, like, I'm trying to think, what what is the thing that he says about, I don't know, never mind, I've lost track of it, but the point being uh. that there were things that he said about being a keeper that suggested to me that it was more than a sort of, uh, Not just an academic practice of preserving the knowledge of ancient religions, but that there was something maybe magical about this. And maybe this Mm -hmm. is just me projecting from the fact that, uh, he's something with a
1: capital letter. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um. Yeah. Um, but I think that probably does it. Nora is looking at the book. Maybe she's about to pull something, but... Uh mark where can people find you online?
3: uh you can find me on twitter at char blunt. um and you can find my other podcast higgledy piggledy whale statements at abnormalmapping.com slash whale uh that is a podcast about moby dick um and we are talking about various moby dick adaptations um the episode we came out with most recently was about uh, the silent film version of Moby Dick, The Sea
0: Beast, which is a very stupid movie. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah. Um, Kelsier knew the strength that says it hid. Few men, allomancers or not, would fare well in a fight with a keeper whose anger had been roused. That was probably why yeah. the mystery had hunted the sect virtually to extinction.
1: Okay, well, that yeah, was more exactly. explicit than I remembered it being.
0: <laughs> okay, thank you.
3: Yes, they've got powers. Clearly they they've got some powers. fucking they've powers. They've got magic
1: powers.
0: Uh, and not just the magic powers of knowing which fork is for the fish and which fork is for the salad. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nora, uh-huh.
1: you want me to go? Go ahead. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Atomal underscore coffee, all my other podcasts at um, where you can get access. That's the Patreon. You can get access to most things early. You can get access to Bag End Book Club, which should be going up tomorrow. We're starting the Two Towers. Um, it's boys' night. It's boys' night. Um, boys I got, three <laughs> I either need to edit that or send you the audio for that. You got it. I'll take it. Okay, cool. Um, uh ornate stairwells where we just did um oh christ what did we just do pale flower i was like i knew there was something after goodbye dragon in
2: dragon um, <laughs>
1: um or um hot singles where um we just did a christmas episode and we we're working on some end of the year you know like this year in music sort of stuff um That'll we'll be out also soonish.
0: Need to uh, get in touch with our guest this year for our Export Audio Holiday Special.
1: Yeah, the Export Audio Ho- Holiday Special um, will be coming
0: on December 25th, bright and early, as always. Yep. If you know, you know. If you don't know, go back and listen to the first two. Yeah. <laughs> um, you'll find them, you'll find them Nice copy, I think Nice copy <laughs> <laughs> I I downloaded that file Off the YouTube, so we have We have a backup, just in case
1: You also just announced something on Journal yesterday, which is out today um, Oh, you mean Pop Town Funk? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Nora and I are doing a new Patreon thing um, It's It's kinda just regular export But it's different, because Nora and I were rolling for a random Funko
0: pop. And as an example, our first episode, we got the Andre the Giant Funko Pop, which meant that we watched the Princess Bride.
3: Oh, is that why you're? <laughs> I sent such an earnest email about the Princess Bride and my like, teenage feelings about you it. I knew four this was about people. a fucking Funko pop <laughs> Oh.
2: You're
1: tricked.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Everyone sent us emails about the Princess Bride, except for M, who knew the gimmick. Uh, <laughs> no one asked us anything about Andre the Giant. Yeah. Did they? <laughs> no. M did, because they knew the gimmick. Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, that's fine.
0: <laughs> um, you know, and we have, like, you know, if we get a NASCAR guy... Maybe we'll watch an NASCAR nice race, but, but no. after the first one, we can always go to this website we found that is a
1: Netflix randomizer. <laughs> <laughs> this will—we're gonna end up watching Rick and Morty for this sh- podcast at some oh, point. You. We're gonna—you will not get more than one episode <laughs> out of me. <laughs> We're gonna end up watching South Park at some point for this podcast. Oh God. <laughs> That'll, the All first right. episode uh, is going to be free for everybody, and then that's going to be a Patreon exclusive. 7th thing. and 21st of every month. Look yeah. forward to it. Yeah. It's basically just export, though.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's good. Export is good. Yeah. Except it might be, you know, one week it might be, oh, we're going to watch an episode of The Mandalorian. Yeah. And then the next week it might be, I guess we're going to watch a Harry Potter movie? <laughs> Shrug? I don't want to? <laughs> Um,
3: they should make code kiosk
0: funcos. Oh my god. <laughs> wow, alright.
1: They probably have made DevNet Funko's. Oh yeah.
0: Anyway You can find me on Twitter at idenoraf and stuff at or like. Online. Give us money on the Patreon, and you can listen to us talk about who knows what next
1: time. Yep. Yeah. Uh thanks, Brandon.
0: Thanks, Brandon.
3: Thanks, Brandon.